0: Well, because of the generators that we have attained, uh, we have sound, but we still don't have lights, and we still don't have a clock. <laughs> you know what that means, right? We don't know when the sermon's gonna end. <laughs> it could go on for quite some time. Uh, <laughs> so... uh My guess is that your life is sort of like our worship service, that it hasn't gone exactly according to plan. About 8.15 a.m. this morning, we discovered we weren't going to have power, and then in the second service, we got some generators. First service, we had nothing, and uh, it didn't go according to plan, but uh, I think things have worked out well so far. We'll see about how things conclude here today. But my guess is it's sort of like your life. Your life hasn't gone according to plan. I thought it was going to be this woman, but it wasn't. I thought it was going to be this job, but it wasn't. I thought it was going to be this place, no, it wasn't. Now last week, Paul Taylor told a story about his grandfather. This week, I'm gonna tell you a story about my grandfather. Last week, Paul Taylor wore a tie. This week, about my grandfather. My grandfather on my mother's side, actually technically my step-grandfather, Chris Peterson, grew up on a farm in Denmark. He didn't like the farm very much, so he decided to leave. At the age of 19, just a teenager, he decided to emigrate to the United States. So he caught a steamer, and he crossed the Atlantic in 13 days, threw up the entire time, and arrived in the East Coast, was processed on Ellis Island, like so many others of that era, and then he made his way to the West Coast. He made his way to California. And his sights were set on the American dream. But his life didn't go according to plan. Hardly before his American dream got started, he was climbing a ladder. He fell off the ladder, split open his head, and he was laid up in a hospital for more than two months. His life did not go according to plan. The Apostle Paul's life didn't go according to plan. And what we're going to see in Acts 22, actually we're going to hear and see him tell his not according to plan story. And we're going to be able to relate to his story. I think all of us are going to be able to relate to Paul's story today, how Paul's story didn't go according to plan. So last week we saw that Paul was in Athens and he was sharing the gospel with these Athenians, and after that, he made his way around several other places, and eventually, he makes his way to Jerusalem. He comes to Jerusalem, and there in Jerusalem, certain Jews are opposing him. He's minding his own business, but certain Jews take issue with some of the things he's saying. They don't really understand what he's saying. They think he's teaching against the law, against the people, and against the temple. They lay these accusations against him, similar to the accusations that certain Jews laid against Stephen back in Acts chapter seven. We looked at that several weeks ago. So uh, they lay these accusations against him, and they stir up the crowd, and the crowd is on the verge of killing him. And at that point, the Romans intervene, the Roman soldiers intervene, they drag Paul away, they take him to the Roman Tribune, and then he appears before the Tribune, and the Tribune grants Paul what he really wants. That's the opportunity to tell his story to his Jewish countrymen in Jerusalem. So this is a different audience than what we saw last week in Acts 17, where Paul is speaking to Greeks, now he's speaking to Jews. He is a Jew, so he's able to relate very clearly to what they've been through, what they're going through, more clearly than with the Greeks. He's able to sort of go back and forth between the Greeks and the Jews because he's able to be all things to all people. So now he's on his home turf, so to speak, and he's speaking to his countrymen. So let's look at the story, Acts chapter 22. We're gonna look at this. We're kinda gonna crawl through it, make a few comments as we go and see what it means for us. Acts 22, verse one. Again, Paul speaking to his countrymen. Brothers and fathers, hear the defense that I now make before you. And when they heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew language, they became even more quiet. So Paul uses their language, he knows this language, it's probably Aramaic, which is a Hebrew dialect, and he's trying to connect with them and relate to them, and obviously he can because he's one of them. And that's what we're gonna see throughout this sermon is that Paul is able to relate to these people because he is one of them. It takes one to know one. So right away, he calls them brothers and fathers as if they were family and he is able to speak in the language that is their mother tongue. And so now he really has their attention. This is what he wants, he wants their attention. He wants to be able to tell his story. A door has opened for him to tell his story. Sometimes, A door is going to open for you to tell your story, and you never know when it's going to happen. Paul came to Jerusalem, and he was worshiping, and he was minding his own business, and then he was assaulted, more or less, dragged before this Roman court, and then he has the opportunity. You never know when there's going to be an opportunity for you to tell your story, so watch for that opportunity. Watch for a door to open. Verse 3, And he said, I am a Jew, born in Tarsus in Cilicia, Uh, brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God, as all of you are to this day. I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women, as the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear me witness." From them I received letters to the brothers and I journeyed toward Damascus to take those who were there and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. Paul here establishes his Jewish bona fides. So I'm a Jew, I'm a thoroughly Jew. I was, I was trained by this famous Jewish rabbi who they would have known. I, I went before the Jewish council and they would have considered, hey, that's pretty good. He got, to an, he got an appearance before the council. And uh, then he had the letters in order to go and, and gather up these, uh, these believers who he considered a sect, these, these deviants, these people who have wandered from the way and these people who are a plague on the real Jewish faith. And so he's saying to them, I'm like one of you, or essentially, I was like one of you. And I would have continued to be like, exactly like one of you. I persecuted these people. I would continue persecuting these people, except for the fact that something happened to me on the way to Damascus. He was was somebody, he was going to continue to be somebody, but something happens on the way to Damascus. Something happens to you on the way to becoming who you are going to be. You were going to be some, you are. you were someone, you were going to continue to be that person, but something happened to you on the way. Verse six, as I was on my way to Damascus, and drew near to Damascus. About noon, a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me, and I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? That was his name before it was changed to Paul. And I answered, who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Now those who were with me saw the light but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. Ooh. All right. Yeah, this is cool. But you know what? You know what, everybody? There's still no clock. (laughs) At least not yet. Alright, so we've got light, and we've, oh wait a second, we've got the light shone around Paul, right? (laughs) The light shone around Paul, and he couldn't see. Now the light is shone around us, and we can see. (laughs) This is is a flip, I think, right? Maybe, I don't know what's going on here. So, so he he saw a light, and he heard a voice. He didn't know who belongs to the voice, first of all, at at first, but he, he sees, and he hears. And then, obviously it's Jesus and Jesus invites him into this conversation and he asks a question and a conversa- this conversation goes like this, Jesus asks a question and then Paul asks a question. And that's how conversations often work, right? Questions are asked, questions are answered, questions are asked, questions are answered. So on the way to Damascus, whoa. Well now we got the clock, this is not right. Okay, So on the way to Damascus Something happens What happens to him? He meets Jesus On the way to being Whoever you were going to be You meet Jesus Something happens You meet Jesus And what does he do then? He invites you into a conversation And I don't know if you realize this but what happens is in this conversation over the years it starts first with him asking you a question and you trying to answer the question and then you asking him a question. It doesn't always work out exactly like that but if you look at it over the years that's probably what is how it's been working out. Jesus poses a question. And you might feel like, you might be able to say that's not exactly a question, but over the years or over the months, or the weeks, yeah, I think Jesus is asking me something. How am I gonna respond to that? Then you answer the question. Then you ask a question. And then Jesus asks asks a question. And this is how this relationship goes when Jesus enters your life. He asks questions, you ask questions, there are answers and so forth. And the relationship pursues. And maybe at one point you might hear something from Jesus that sounds something like this: "Why are you doing that? Why are you doing what you're doing? What does Jesus say to um, Paul? Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Why are you doing this?" Of course, Paul doesn't know who he is, and then Jesus identifies himself and and Jesus uh, interprets his, uh, the persecution of the followers of Jesus as persecution of him. Why are, you perse- why are you doing what you're doing? Sometimes you're gonna get a question that sounds something like that. Why are you doing what you're doing? Verse 10. And I said, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, rise and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all that is appointed for you to do. And since I could not see because of the brightness of that light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me and came into Damascus. So Jesus gives him these instructions, these are very clear instructions, but they're incomplete, aren't they? Go into Damascus and there it's gonna be told all that is appointed for you to do. I'm not telling it to you now. All I'm doing is saying, go into Damascus, and then you're gonna get further instructions. So should he trust the voice? Should he trust the voice and go into Damascus? One thing's for certain, if he trusts the voice and goes into Damascus, he 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 will be going into Damascus to do something different from what he was originally planning to do. What was he planning to do? He was planning to gather up followers of Jesus, bring them back to Jerusalem, so that they could be punished. If he goes to Damascus now, everything is gonna change. So he's been blinded by this light. He can't see. And his blindness mirrors his spiritual condition. He has been blind. He is a zealous Jew. He is zealous for the Lord. He is doing exactly what he thinks zealousness for for the Lord dictates, persecuting this plague. Get rid of these people. These people are a plague on Jerusalem. These people are a plague on Israel, plague on the Jews. Get rid of them. That's what he thinks is absolutely the right thing to do as a believer in the God of Israel. It is absolutely the wrong thing to do. He is completely blind. He cannot see. His blindness mirrors his spiritual condition. Now if he is going to obey this voice and go into Damascus, he's not gonna be able to make it there on his own. Why? He can't see. His companions need to take him to the next place. He's dependent on them to take him by the hand and guide him into Damascus. And he asked the question, what should I do, Lord? Now that, really when you think about it, that's a risky question. What should I do? You're sort of giving up the right to decide what you're gonna do. If you actually open up and say, what should I do, Lord? Now, a lot of us ask that question, as well we should, but I wonder, do we really mean it? <laughs> I, I, I'd like to know the Lord's will, but really, secretly, we might harbor our own will That say, well, we're gonna hedge our bets and say, well, okay, well, if the answer comes back in a certain way, maybe I'm not gonna do that. But Paul really seems legit about this whole thing. He has opened up to the Lord. He has engaged. What should I do, Lord. And sometimes, sometimes when we get those instructions from the Lord, and we get the answer to the question, what should I do? The answer seems incomplete at best. If there isn't, if there even is an answer, what should I do, Lord? Sometimes the answer seems incomplete, and, and oftentimes, let's face it, it seems like there's no answer whatsoever to the question. What should I do? But maybe what we need is what Paul needed. Help from others to get to the next place. Figuratively speaking, anyway. It's as if we're groping in the dark. We can't see. We can't see what the next step is. Or maybe we can see what the next step is, but we don't know how to get there. We don't know how to do it. And maybe we need some companions to come alongside us and say, here, take my hand. Here's the next step. The next step isn't going to give you all the answers, but there is a step to be taken, and sometimes we need the help of others in order to do that, to get to the next place. Verse 12. And one Ananias, a devout man according to the law, well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there, came to me and standing by me, said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very hour, I received my sight and saw him, so Ananias, this devout Jew, who's a believer in Jesus, helps Paul recover his sight, obviously it's God who opens his eyes, but Ananias has a part to play, and he says, brother Saul, receive your sight, and Paul is able to see again, and once his eyes are opened, he will never see the world in the same way ever again, He will never see people in the same way ever again. He will never see the Jews, his countrymen, in the same way ever again. He will never see the Gentiles, oftentimes the enemies, in the same way ever again. And what is the first thing that Paul saw when he opened his eyes? He sees not a thing, he sees a person. He sees Ananias. Who is Ananias? Ananias is a Jew, just like Paul ananias is a devout jew just like paul ananias is a follower of jesus unlike paul so what's the first thing that paul sees he sees the person that he needs to become he needs to become like ananias a devout jew sold out for the lord but now one who is following jesus as ananias is doing We need help from other people sometimes to get us to the next place. We need help from other people oftentimes to help us to see. We all have our blind spots. We all have blinders on. We're all stuck on our ways. And oftentimes we'll need other people to help us to see, to ask us maybe some gentle questions. Have you considered seeing things this way? Have you considered this? What about this? Do you think you actually see everything here? I think you see some things, but you don't see the entire picture. Maybe we need other people once in a while to help us see. What we also need is what Paul needed. He needed to see a Jew who was following Jesus. We need to see people who are following Jesus, right? And we need examples to follow. And we have our eyes opened, and we see someone who's following Jesus, and someone who... You know, we, we can learn from that person. What does it look like? And there are lots of people in this church you can learn from. Maybe there's someone who's a little bit older. Maybe there's someone who's walked with the Lord a little bit longer. Maybe you look at that person and you, and you have some admiration for that person. And you, maybe you want to have coffee or lunch or something like that. You want to ask a few questions. Can you, how did you become who you became? What, 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 I see this in you. How, did you. how did you get that? How did all this happen? We need people like Ananias in our lives. Verse 14. And he said, the God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one, that's Jesus, and to hear a voice from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. And now, why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins calling on his name. Ananias tells him that you have been appointed to know the will of God. Isn't that nice? Wouldn't we all like to know the will of God? Then again, maybe we're not so crazy about the will of God being made all too clear depending on what the will of God is. You have been appointed to know the will of God. What is the will of God for Paul? First of all, it's to see and to hear the righteous one. He's already heard the righteous one, Jesus. He's about to see him as well in Jerusalem, and he's going to see and hear Jesus. So he's in the will of God for Paul. He's been appointed to see and hear Jesus. And then second of all, he's been appointed to be a witness. A witness of what? Of what he has seen and heard concerning Jesus. So those are the two things that God has appointed Paul to do. First of all, it is to see and hear Jesus, and second of all, to be a witness of Jesus. But before that happens, of course, he has to call on the name of Jesus, that is, give his allegiance to Jesus, and then be baptized as a follower of Jesus. So, are there things, is there, is it, is, does the Lord have a will for you? I think he does. Indeed, I believe that the Lord has many things for you to do. The Lord has many things for you to do. And from this text, I can see that he has appointed you to do two things. First of all is to see and hear Jesus. If you don't believe in Jesus, you need to believe in Jesus, and you are going to see and hear him. If you do believe in Jesus, one day, for absolute certainty, you are going to see Jesus you're gonna see the body of Jesus with your eyes, and you're gonna hear the voice of Jesus with your ears in the new creation when Christ comes back. That's settled, that is going to happen. What happens before then? Well, maybe you might get that opportunity. Some people seem to have these kinds of visionary experiences, but regardless of that, what has God appointed you to do? To use your eyes, to use your ears, to use all of your faculties, as a matter of fact, and to bring what you see and what you hear to Jesus, so that you might experience Jesus. You have been appointed to experience Jesus, and it involves your faculties. What you see, what you hear, and then how you are able to bring what you see and hear to Jesus so that you can understand accurately what's going on in your life by bringing it all to Jesus. And then, of course, you have also been appointed to be a witness. A witness concerning what? What you have seen, what you have heard of Jesus. And we've seen this before in Acts. To be a witness primarily involves telling other people what you have experienced of Jesus. There are other things involved in that, but primarily it involves Telling other people what you have experienced of Jesus. Verse 17. When I had returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance. This is like Peter's experience earlier. Cormac preached that passage. And saw him saying to me, make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly because they will not accept your testimony about me. And I said, Lord, they themselves know That in one synagogue after another, I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, I myself was standing by and approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. And he said to me, go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Paul thinks now, now that he's a believer in Jesus, that he is the ideal witness to go to the Jews. He is a Jew. They know his history of persecuting followers of Jesus. He is a perfect candidate to minister to the Jews. But Jesus says, no, why not? They are too dug in. They will not accept your testimony. That's number one. Number two, Jesus has other plans for Paul. He's been pretty good with the Gentiles, hasn't he? We just saw him last week preaching to the Greeks. That was an amazing sermon. And Jesus obviously can see how Paul can be used for the sake of the Gentiles. So he says to him, go. I'm gonna send you far away to the Gentiles. I've got other plans for you, and you have to trust me. He thinks this makes perfect sense. But Jesus says, "It it might make perfect sense, but that's not the plans that I have for you. I have something else for you. So on the way to being who we are going to be, we meet Jesus. On the way to doing what you were going to do, Jesus redirects you. You've experienced that, right? You thought you were going to do this. That door was closed. This door was open. Go. Jesus redirects you. He knows the future and you don't. And you cannot overemphasize this. Quite simply, the Lord knows the future and you don't. You have a vision, perhaps, but you don't know what tomorrow holds. You don't know how that will be realized or not realized. Jesus knows tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the day after that. He knows where you'll be accepted, He knows where you'll be rejected. He knows where doors will open, He knows where doors will close. He knows who fits you, He knows who doesn't fit you. He knows You don't. You have to trust him with that. And sometimes you might be really persistent, like Paul. This is the place, these are the people. And you might end up hearing something that sounds like, go. No, it's not these people, it's not this place. All right. Verse 22. Up to this word they listened to him, then they raised their voices and said, away with such a fellow from the earth for he should not be allowed to live. Well they listened, Paul has crafted this sermon very beautifully to resonate with his countrymen and now he drops the bomb. He doesn't drop the bomb at first, he drops the bomb at the end the story about how he heard Jesus tell him to go to the Gentiles, and they are furious with this. Why are they so angry? With You don't deserve to live. You want to go to the Gentiles? Away with such a fellow. Why? Who are the Gentiles in their world? They are Romans. What have the Romans done? The Romans have invaded their land. The Romans are ruling their land occupying their land they are ruling their land with an iron fist and wooden crosses you take issue with rome's right to rule you end up on one of their crosses who likes be what nation likes being invaded what nation likes being occupied what nation likes being brutalized no nation likes this go to the gentiles go to these people Nevertheless, there is no getting around the fact that you go all the way back to Abraham and all the way through the the prophets, that God has called Israel to be a light to the nations, even the Romans. And the Jews here who are opposing Paul have had enough. They will have none of it. Away with such a fellow. Sometimes you tell your story, Maybe a door opens for you to tell your story and it goes nowhere and the people don't receive the story, they don't receive you. They might not ever talk to you again. You feel rejected. You don't conform to their expectations. The Jews have certain expectations for what other Jews are supposed to look like. You're a certain person, other, you know, your family, they have expectations of what you're supposed to look like, what you're supposed to be, and what you're supposed to do. You don't fit that. Maybe it's not away with such a fellow, but it's something like that, and it hurts and it stings. The simple fact of the matter is that you have a story to tell, and some people aren't going to receive it, and they're going to shut the door on your face. Chris Peterson, my grandfather, my step-grandfather, came from Denmark, split open his head, was laid up in the hospital for more than two months. While he was laid up in the hospital, this pastor came to visit him. And he said to him, Peterson, he encouraged him, Peterson, you must get well. The Lord has so many things for you to do. That was a turning point for Chris. At that point, he actually began to get well. Eventually he was discharged from the hospital. He was still an invalid for several more weeks, but he got well. And and, and Chris never forgot the words of the pastor. He, 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 He went to those words often in his memory and he would tell that story to family and friends over and over again. I don't know how many times I heard that story. Peterson, you must get well. The Lord has so many things for you to do. I heard that story so many times over so many years that those words have kind of almost become my own and I can almost hear the pastor speaking those words to me. Grant, you must get well. The Lord has so many things for you to do. Turns out that the pastor in this case was also a prophet because Peterson got well And the Lord indeed had so many things for Chris to do. I won't regale you with all of the stories of all of the things that he did, but he went on to live a long and full life. And um, he was very much involved in the Danish-American community here in the Bay Area. He was a benefactor and uh, loved people. And uh, he he did great work among the Danish-Americans here in the Bay Area, so much so that the king of Denmark came from Denmark and visited the Bay Area and knighted Chris Peterson. He was knighted. I didn't know there was a king, you know, but I guess there was a king in Denmark who does these things, and he knighted my grandfather. Indeed, the Lord had so many things for Chris to do. His life didn't go according to plan, but things shifted and changed. Perhaps your life has not gone according to plan. This worship service has not gone according (laughs) to plan. But let me ask you two questions. On your way to being who you were going to be, did Jesus meet you? Let me ask you another question. On your way to doing what you were going to do, did Jesus redirect you? If the answer to these two questions is yes, then let me suggest to you that though your life has not gone according to your plans, that perhaps it has gone according to the plans of the Lord. And if your life has gone according to the plans of the Lord, it has turned out to be better than anything that you could have planned. You may not see it now, but I promise you this, if you keep following Jesus, you will see it one day you will see that your life has turned out and will turn out to be better than anything that you could have planned. With all the stops and the starts and the twists and the turns and the hills and the valleys, the righteous one meets you right on time. And remember this, you're not done yet. The Lord has so many things for you to do. Coming to the table today. Jesus meets us here. Jesus meets us in all sorts of ways, but Jesus meets us here, and he gave us this very practical way for us to meet him on a regular basis. When you think about it, it's a little bit strange, right? It's familiar to us because we've been doing it. If you've been in the church for a long time, but the body and the and the blood, it's the bread, and the the wine. But this is what Jesus gave us in a very practical, tangible way for us to meet him. So we're meeting him today in this way at the table. Now we do this in a couple ways here at PBC. One of the ways is you come forward to the table, and the other way, which we're doing today, is the table comes to you. Sometimes in your life, it feels like you're coming to Jesus. Sometimes in your life, it feels like Jesus is coming to you. Today, Jesus is coming to you in the bread and in the wine. So here's how it's going to work. The bread is going to come first. You can partake of that whenever you please. Second of all, the cup is going to come. When you get the cup, hold on to the cup, and we will partake together. Let me pray for us. Uh, Lord, I, I feel that though things have just been all over the place today, that you've been in this place, um, and that you want to me- that you have met us in so many ways, and that you want to meet us here right now, with the bread and with the wine. So I pray, Lord, that at e- as each of us partakes, that we have would have the experience of of taking you in. Thank you so much for the the, the sacrifice that this took, that this represents, by which. We're partaking of you, and we he find bread for the journey and, and wine of exhilaration in, as we partake this morning. We thank you so much. Amen.